play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, the show where celebrities share stories about the foods they love most, and we dig into the history, culture, and science of those meals with experts from around the world. Today on the program, journalist Audie Cornish. Audie is an anchor and correspondent for CNN, and she hosts the CNN podcast, The Assignment. And before that, she spent 10 years as the co-host of NPR's All Things Considered. Audie and I both spent the better part of the last two decades working in radio newsrooms. So we are both very familiar with the ubiquitous, often infamous, newsroom free food table. But Audie's former colleague, All Things Considered senior producer Melissa Gray, made sure their newsroom's table wasn't just a place for stale donuts. Melissa joins the show to talk about her cookbook, All Cakes Considered. And for the first time ever, Adi talks about her husband in an interview. I knew I wanted to marry him because I didn't want any other dinner partner. I was like, yeah, I just want to keep eating your food and eating with you forever. All that and a visit from Adi's husband, Theo, coming up later in the show. But first, my interview with Adi Cornish. So I have to say that this was one of the more challenging interviews to prepare for because you being a journalist, when I Google your name and any number of topics beside it, I got all of the stories that you've done. So, you know, it's hard to find stories that were about you. Curious oh, whereas I feel you... overexposed. Like, I feel like I've done a lot of <laughs> interviews and I'm always like, why does anyone want to talk to me? Um, so, yeah. I was interested to hear how you felt about being interviewed. Do you like being interviewed? I've come to really enjoy being interviewed because I can hear other people's interview styles, which is fun for me as kind of a student of the interview. And I I have to admit, I don't actually see myself as a very appealing interview subject. How can I put this? I feel like when I left NPR, I had an identity crisis. It was like, who am I? Like, what do I do? Like, do I have a style? Like, I had to all of a sudden think of myself in a very different way. And people interviewing me helped me find my path because they would point out, well, you do this or you do that. Or these people, all of these interviewers helped me build a narrative out of that crisis. And I've come to be actually grateful for it. I want to talk about newsrooms because, in my experience, every newsroom that I've been in has had a free food table oh, at my last the gross job. gross free food table, yes. <laughs> yes. And we never, well, I shouldn't say never, we hardly ever got our own food. Like, we were getting leftovers from a sales meeting and, like, sandwiches that had been sitting out for four hours. And we were stoked. Like, we would eat it. And we didn't care. Everything got eaten. I was curious uh, if you'd had the same experience in your career in newsrooms. Every single one. So my first newsroom was at the Associated Press in Boston, and there was a table where people would bring in, like, treats, and there was a Lint, like, chocolate store nearby. So for that, like, six, seven, eight months that I was, like, working there, it was, like, every day was this bag of chocolate. Or, because it was Boston, Dunkies. There was Dunkin' Donuts. 
And so somebody would bring in a bunch of donuts each day and you would just sort of graze. You would like walk past this (laughs) this dismal looking little table. This is obviously pre-COVID, so you don't have the sense of like, should I touch that? Everyone else has touched that. Should I put that in my mouth? Like none of that. You're just walking by grabbing, sticking something in your mouth, this like hit of sugar and then moving on to the next thing. And I like never forgot that. I feel like in the case of donuts, sometimes I didn't know if they were even from that day. So I would have to ask because you'd see them and it's like, are these the same ones from yesterday? If you have to ask, you should not touch it. You should not eat it. (laughs) You should not eat like that's really the rule of the free food. If you have to ask, how long has this been here? Don't eat it. There is another person will come along with lower standards and they deserve that snack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like the notorious story from my last newsroom was this guy who worked overnight. It was always these guys that were a little bit older and they ended up kind of getting pushed to the overnight shift. And someone had put a box of donuts on the top of the garbage. Yeah. And I remember he came in and just like you said, you just pass by and you grab it without even thinking. He just took the donut right out of the box in the garbage and just started Still good. Still we good. still talk about this. It was a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can picture it. Have you noticed a difference? Because you were in public media for a long time, and now you're at CNN. Do you notice a difference in the free table between commercial and public media? Oh. Well, um, I think that... You know, I remember in public media, there was much more of a culture of sharing the fact that there was free food somewhere. Like Mm. there was always an email list or a listserv and then later a Slack. But it felt like there was a real duty to report. (laughs) Like if anywhere in the building, (laughs) there might be free food. And Mm -hmm. definitely in a corporate environment, I don't feel it the same way. The odds of walking into a room... And being told like, oh, no, no, this food is for X, Y, and Z, special occasion, you can't eat it, are just way higher than yeah. in public media. <laughs> but yeah, here there's there's way more catering, but uh, people share way less of it. I'm having the opposite because I worked 20 years in commercial and now I'm five months into public media and I'm like, bring your own snacks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, bring a banana. They do like a lot more nice things where they plan special days and they bring a coffee cart in and they'll like do a lunch. But yeah, there's never like someone's kids a quarter of their birthday cake from the weekend in the room. Oh, there was so much baking at All Things Considered that there is actually an All Things Considered baking recipe book. I think it's called All Cakes Considered. And like one uh, one of our staffers, I think her name is uh, Melissa Gray, um, edited and put together this book. And it is like a proper published book. That's how much birthday cakes <laughs> like were being made that we were eating wow. enough to fill a book. I'm Melissa Gray, senior producer at NPR's Weekend Edition now. And the name of my book is... All cakes considered. Melissa has been working in newsrooms since 1992, so she's very familiar with the free food table. Oh my God, sometimes it's like the dregs. It's like what somebody else doesn't want, but you are often under deadline and working so hard and you don't want to leave that you'll find yourself just sort of grazing on whatever someone brought. More than 15 years ago, Melissa was starting a new job at NPR with a brand new team. And she had also been wanting to learn how to bake. 
So she figured a baking project would be a good way to make friends at work. She plopped a freshly baked cake on the newsroom free table every week for two years. The first cake I tried was way above my league. I did Martha Washington's Great Cake, and it was from a recipe that they give you when you go to visit Mount Vernon. And I was like, oh, I could do this. Oh, yes, I come from a whole long line of bakers. Oh, this can't be that hard. Oh, it was terrible. (laughs) It was awful. But I brought it in, and everybody was, like, going orgasmic eating it because no one baked a big cake like this and brought it in and just presented it like, here, here's something I did just for you. The reaction to it was so amazing that even though I was not happy with how the cake had turned out, no one else really cared because it was free food. Um, Getting that positive reinforcement from my colleagues really spurred me to do more. And so I, I did a cake a week for three months. And then at this point, it was an expectation of me. And so I just kept going with it. And I did it for like, I want to say I did it for two years before I finally sat down to, to write a cookbook. Melissa had a friend with a publishing connection who thought the cake experiment could make a great book. So she banged out a first draft in just eight weeks. And after a bidding war... Chronicle Books published All Cakes Considered in 2009. What are a few of your favorite recipes or the ones that were favorites in the newsroom that made it into the book? Oh, gosh. In the middle of the cake book, I did a break from cake, and I put some of the cookie recipes that my mom and I loved. Oh, God, there's Martha Washington's Great Cake. Are you having palpitations? (laughs) Yes, my heart is starting. Oh, my God. (laughs) Anyway, let me move on from that little PTSD. Yeah. Um, So the cowboy cookie recipe is is so much fun. And you can put any type of morsel or nut or dried fruit in it. And it's hands down the most popular recipe in the newsroom. Because I still have people here talking about those cookies. Hmm. I have people that left NPR that ask me, are you still making the cowboy cookies? Brown sugar pound cake is Melissa Block's favorite. Um, And that's one that came from my mom. It has got this sort of caramel undertaste to it with that pound cake texture, very moist. So I would say that one, people really liked that one. The sour cream pound cake, which is also the recipe that starts off the book because it is among the most easiest recipes to make. And this is my grandmother's recipe. That one I do about four or five times a year. I'm about to do it this weekend because that's the recipe my son wants for his birthday cake. That sounds like my Um, perfect cake. I am somebody who can eat sour cream out of the container straight. So any recipe with sour cream, I'm like, ooh. And of course, a pound cake already has all the butter and the eggs. So just more creamy fat. It sounds great. Melissa says the free food table can teach you about your colleagues. There are people who like cake, and then there are people who like cake for a delivery system for frosting. Uh-huh. I am not a huge frosting person. I, I really could take it or leave Same. it. Same. But there are people in this newsroom who, I swear, if you just served up a bowl <laughs> of frosting, they would eat it. And so this was a, an older newsman who... Uh, did commentary for NPR for years, and I had put out this cake that had frosting on the top. He came out after doing his interview, and he basically used his bare hands and scalped, he scalped the frosting off, and then sat there and ate it. And there was a- Out of his hand? Out of his hand. And um, a bunch of us who saw this were quite appalled. (laughs) 
I was a bit appalled, but I didn't know, you know, do I say something? Do I not say something? I didn't say anything. But I wrote about it in the book, and uh, it was Daniel Shore. (laughs) You know, we talked earlier about the kind of job that we have often requires you to really stay in the office, stay in the newsroom. Sometimes you can't leave. You can't go out to get anything. Um, Sometimes you're covering really hard stories, uh, really serious stories. You know, whether it's your cakes or anything that lands on the free table. I don't know. Is it kind of like a bomb or a salve in any way? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, when you're under stress in a newsroom or stress in any job, I mean, I have nurse friends who tell me the same thing back in the break room. Somebody brings in a cake or someone brings in something they've made and they've been like on the floor and they're exhausted and you've been under stress all day long. Just being able to have that moment where the world stops for a second, you can eat this thing together. And that's the key, enjoying it together. And it may be two minutes. It may be five minutes. Being able to have that does, in a way, repair the stress that you've been under. It is such, I think, a universal and human thing to share food that it does help. It does help. And it it also cements your bond with each other's co-workers and human beings so that when you come back in the next day to this place that you know is really going to stress you out, you know that you've got really good people who've got your back. After the break, Audie Cornish's last meal is a love letter, or maybe more of a 90s mixtape, to her husband, who has been wooing her with his cooking since day one. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Let's get to the big question. What would your last meal be? I should have thought of this more. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing I was coming in in the interview. Um, All right. So now I am going to do an annoying interviewer thing, which is like, how do you want people to think about this? Like, do you Mm. see it as like your last meal before fade to black or your last meal for a while? I generally like people to interpret it however they want to interpret it. (laughs) I will say, you know, some people, it goes different ways. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson, he wants lobster because he was seeing it as a real execution and he wanted to put it off for a long time. And he thought, by the time I crack all these shells and pull the meat out, you know, it'll be, I'll be able to prolong it. 
That is amazing. I know. (laughs) A lot is revealed in that answer. (laughs) Truly. And I do find that the people that are famous for their brains have answers like that. Not to say that everyone I talk to isn't smart, but they tend to have more of like an analytical intellectual answer. I don't want it to be morbid. For me, it's a catalyst of conversation. It's a way to talk to people through a universal subject, which is food. And to me, it kind of like comes down to squeezing out like something that's important to you or something that tastes good, something that's a good memory. I mean, I will say like my favorite answers aren't just things that taste good, like, oh, roast chicken. I like the weird stuff, you know, yeah. like John Waters wants a single leaf of arugula because he wants to be a tidy corpse. That's great. So of course. <laughs> I think I think it kind of is an expression maybe of either your personality or, you know, just something that means something to you that you might have a memory attached to or something that just tastes really good that you want to eat every day. My last meal. You know, it's funny. I think my I would want my last meal to be with and from my husband who wooed me with food. I met him like practically out of college. The very first thing he did was like make us a meal from scratch. And he actually made a series of meals and I remember every single one. One was a shrimp scampi that he made for the entire office. You talk about that free food table. It was after 9-11, where the Boston AP office, one of the planes obviously has taken off from Boston to LA. It is a story for our bureau. And we're all working round the clock. Like basically it was just understood, like, you, like we're not leaving here. And he on his shift like went home and made this like big pasta meal for everyone and brought it in. And I was like, this guy's so nice. (laughs) That's such a cool, thoughtful thing to say. I mean, also shrimp is a choice, you know, like it just seemed bold. Uh, And shrimp is expensive. It is, exactly. Um, Everyone ate it. Everyone loved it. Everyone was grateful. And later on, when we started to get closer, I remember he made me like a lime marinated flank steak, which might be in the Mark Bittman cookbook, one of the Mm. early ones, with a mango salsa, which I love to this day. And one was a grilled swordfish with capers, olives, and basil leaves. Number one, he was a great cook, remains a great cook, and cooks my kids amazing things and bakes every week. Number two, I knew I wanted to marry him because I didn't want any other dinner partner. I was like, yeah, I just want to keep eating your food and eating with you forever. That is the sweetest thing. I like thinking of it that way because those are the moments of the day that you're going to have every single day together. Yeah. And breaking bread with people. It's funny. I have lots of I have lots of friends I love eating with and eating dinner with. But he probably is still the best cook and dinner partner I could Mm. ever have. What makes him such a good dinner partner? He talks. I mean, there's so many times we go out for dinner and we sit next to a couple that's not talking or we see one across the room and we just kind of feel bad for them. And I know that's not a good thing to say. Like, maybe they're introverts. Maybe they love the that they can be silent together. Like, it's a very, you know, we're couples. We're we're judgy. Um, But we just are constantly laughing about something, are constantly 
talking about something we read, right? We're both big readers. We're always talking about something in the news. I met him in the newsroom. We're still each other's best and first editors. So much of our lives actually revolve around his cooking and baking. It's, it's almost like it's always been that way. I should have chosen one meal, but it's like I don't care what the meal is as long as he makes it. Oh, my God. So nice. <laughs> it's really, really sweet. We've been married well, for like almost 20 years, so it's like, it's hard to believe you have nice things to say still. But here we are. Well, and, and you've, I think that's so much more special because, you know, people can go on a vacation and then you're in this different place and it's new and it's interesting and you can have a great time. But to love the day to day means that you're a really connected couple that you really like each other that you like the day to day well we both grew up in households where there were home-cooked meals and as a result we really find love and value in that like when I want to do something special for him I cook and it's a big deal because I don't cook as much Um, he is from Vermont and he makes Jamaican food he Mm. learned how to make beef patties he learned to make his own goat stew In fact, I think he revived that mango salsa and put it on the goat stew. But he found ways to embrace not just me, but like my whole world. Doing it through food, I just feel like coming from an immigrant family, like it's so meaningful. It was so meaningful to my parents, to me, and now to my kids. Now I'm like, why didn't I have just a meal? I can't think of it that way. It's so hard. I'm so embarrassed. It's funny. I've never talked no. about him in an interview. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think it's an accident that this food thing brought it out because, like, it is a huge, huge part of our lives. Like, what an awesome cook he is. And he has, we have a bunch of friends. And of course, you know how dudes are these days. They all think it's the bear. So, like, we're all drinking wine and, like, these dudes are all like, oh, well, I uh, just got the <laughs> sashimi that's uh, been aging and, uh, I rolled out these, you know, like they're just taking it to the next level. We're like, whatever, just let us know when it's time to eat. Yeah, yeah. It's like top chef every time because they but they're all great. They're great chefs and we we take advantage of it. But um, yeah, it's weird. It's going to be weird for him to hear me talking about him, I think, because I studiously avoid it. That's funny because I was actually going to say something like, oh, this would be really sweet for him to hear. But then I thought, oh, he probably knows all of this. But so it will be kind of special for he him He doesn't hear. know all of it. He doesn't know how I think about those meals. And oh. like they were our first dates, you know, in his like tiny apartment in Boston. Yeah. He had a stove that was like one of those studio apartment stoves. Mm-hmm. The little super mini yeah, yeah, yeah. He just like could sear and like make things and I was 22 and I was eating literally like tortellini out of a bag in my apartment that had two other roommates so I was like wow like salsa not in a jar oh my god we should get married (laughs) yeah exactly oh what a chump I was he learned to cook hilariously see you should have just interviewed him he spent some time in the circus He was in a small circus, and it had a kind of gypsy culture, Romani culture. How do we say that now? And cooking was a big part of it. Like, everyone cooked for everyone. Wait, wait, wait. so what did he do in the circus? He was a clown. (laughs) (laughs) You just 
have endless material for roasting him. He was, it's a whole, he is one of those people. He is one of those. I'm like, who are you? Like, why don't you have any normal stories? <laughs> are you the same age? Yeah, no, he's a little bit older. But still, it feels like he's lived 20 years more of life than me, than like mm-hmm. seven. Because <laughs> I just, I'm a very careful person and took this sort of prescribed path. But he, he like had all these adventures and he picked up all of these food skills along the way. So next time you can have him on the show. He's a great interview. <laughs> My name is Theo Emery, and I'm a writer, and I'm a book editor and collaborator. Well, look at that. It's Audie's husband, Theo. I thought it would be fun to do a little newlywed-style game to see how well Theo knows Audie in the realm of food. Question one, what is Audie's favorite dish that he cooks? He's going to say his goat stew because he's really proud of it. But I'm going to say he makes the most flawless roast chicken And it spoils me for any other roast chicken. Like, I can't get roast chicken at a restaurant. I can't get roast chicken. Like, I'm not going to buy a rotisserie chicken. Like, he already has made the perfect one. Hmm, that's a tough one. Probably one of them is just, is my roasted chicken. You got it right. That was her answer. But she thought that you would say goat stew, but that it's actually (laughs) roast chicken. (laughs) My goat stew is pretty good. It's by the way, it's got curry goat. Is that's how that's the technical if you want to get it right. So my my curry goat is pretty good, but I'm not I'm not sure it's would pass muster in in Kingston to be honest with you. But I think it's pretty good. She does too. Question two: What do you think that Audie would say her last meal is? Her very last meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to say it's my uh, plantain gnocchi recipe that I invented the other day. (laughs) Well, we couldn't go back in time because I interviewed her before that. So wait, what is this? Did you say plantain gnocchi? That's right. Yeah. Uh, So she's Jamaican. So Mm -hmm. I make a lot of Jamaican food. And uh, I decided to try something a little different and try uh, an experiment on my own. So I made uh, plantain gnocchi and it was pretty delicious. It's not exactly gnocchi. Italians across the world would probably hate me for saying this, but they're actually deep fried. So they're just, they're made just like regular gnocchi, but then I deep fry them um, and I serve them on a bed of jicama soaked in lime and a uh, pineapple sauce. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. A good recipe. Well, that was not her last meal (laughs) (laughs) since she hadn't had it yet when we spoke, but she said that her last meal is anything that you make. And it was a really... (laughs) really sweet interview and she said it was actually the first time that she'd spoken about you publicly so she said I knew I wanted to marry him because I didn't want any other dinner partner I was like yeah I just want to keep eating your food and eating with you forever oh man that's amazing (laughs) it actually it's making me emotional (laughs) (laughs) well we spend a lot of time around the dinner table and and food is a very important part of our relationship it's also a very important part of our family which is very frustrating when our three-year-old says that's disgusting when i put a meal in front of him and he hasn't even tried it but food is very that's very much a part of of who we are as a couple and how we share with each other and the you know, in my mind, food is very precious. There's something, there's a kind of sanctity to it that deserves to be taken very seriously. Um, and I don't mean the pageantry around, you know, like a fancy meal. I'm talking about the fellowship and the love that uh, surrounds a dinner table. 
when you sit down and eat with somebody. Now you're reminding me of all the ways our relationship revolves around food and recipes. Like, Tell me one more thing. One more thing. I'm like, will he be mad at me saying this? No, we're old now. When we were first dating, one of the gifts he gave me or I gave him, I gave him, was a binder. This was very like aughts riot girl collage, but like I made this binder with all of these recipes that he had made me or I had made him. Then I like glued it all together with all of these like hearts and you know magazine cutouts and stuff and it was our personal family cookbook that we said that like if we ever had kids like this would be this thing that we passed down so yeah if we do the newlywed game you can ask him what the name of that cookbook was and what is it el scandaloso <laughs> we were young. <laughs> so, so cute. <laughs> it was. What is the name of the cookbook that Audie made for you earlier in your relationship? Oh my gosh, I can't believe she brought that up. Um, so it's called Cucina Escandalosa. <laughs> the or maybe maybe it's uh Escandalosa is definitely in the title, no question about that, but I think it's Cucina Escandalosa. She said it was El Scandalosa. Oh, maybe it's El Scandalosa, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you remember any of the recipes that are in there? So it's it's an a, accumulation of all the recipes that we've put together. Sometimes we cook them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we say, oh, this looks good. Maybe I'll make this someday. So everything is in there that, that we've cooked at some point. Flank steak is in there. My curry goat is in there. Um, you know, my plantain yucky is probably going to be in there pretty soon. It's like a Encyclopedia Britannica of our culinary life together. That's so cool. It's like a living, breathing cookbook that just keeps expanding. And it needs a little duct tape to hold it together. But yeah, it's got this beautiful um, red and gold cover. And there's a card. I think it's a Mexican tarot image. And it, and it came from when we visited the city of Guanajuato in, in Mexico. So we went there together before we were married. And we loved it so much. It was so beautiful. Such a beautiful city. One of the most amazing places I've been ever, um, that we decided to spend another night. And the the proprietor of the hotel that we were in, uh, when we went to go ask for an extension so that we could stay another night, he said, he said, this is not a hotel escandaloso. And ever since then, it's like, you know, he thought we were, uh, we're having some kind of like affair or something. It was very uh-huh. weird. I don't know why he, maybe he was like confused by the fact that we were an interracial couple or something like, how can this be? But, um, Anyway, so that's where that came from. What is the best thing that she makes? What do you like? Oh, wow. Um, let me think about that for one sure. moment. Um, what does Audie make that I love? I'm struggling because I do most of the cooking right now, completely honest with you. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> so that's a that's a really tough one to answer, to be honest with you. Let me let me think for a second. Um oh boy. Can I come back to that? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that she is so good at is whenever 
we go on a date, which is not nearly as much these days as, as we used to, I regret to say, is that she always finds some new place where we should go and try some new food. And that becomes our, our new favorite place for a while. It's a place where we're able to spend time together, where we're able to you know, share some of the joy that comes out of a, a delicious meal together. Uh, and, uh, and she's just really good at finding those places that we can celebrate one another uh, and spend time in peace and quiet. What is a food that you think represents your relationship the best? What would you say if you were making a new El Scandaloso and this was going to be on the cover? What is the food of your relationship? Wow. At this point, it would probably be plain pasta with uh, a little bit of Parmesan cheese on top, Uh honestly, and not too much pepper. The favorite food of children everywhere. Exactly. What about the butter? Any butter? Maybe a little butter. Not a little butter. Okay. I'm sure a lot of parents lament the number of bowls of noodles with butter and Parmesan that they have to make for their kids, but it is still one of my all-time favorite comfort foods. And it's the last meal of Chris Ballou, frontman of the band The Presidents of the United States and Casper Baby Pants. That was one of our very first episodes from seven years ago, but it is still one of my favorites. I get Chris to improvise a song on the spot about noodles and butter. Go back and listen if you haven't already. Okay, time for a break. But when we return, Audie explains how she found work-life balance through baking. listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. Adi's husband Theo is the family's primary cook, but Adi has found her own place in the kitchen. I feel like I cook to eat and he cooks for pleasure and bakes for pleasure. I'm like, we got to eat. So (laughs) I am going to Google how to truss a chicken. Like I can actually do a lot, but he does it so much better. Yeah, Yeah. might as well Uh, let him do it. (laughs) Yeah, he became so good at it that um, I actually turned into the baker. I took up baking and I make cakes and cookies and and things like that that he can't do, that I can do from scratch. This is a recent hobby. Mm -hmm. My therapist was like, what do you do when you're not at work? And I was like, not at work. <laughs> Say more. Like, yeah, what do you mean by that? I didn't. I didn't know <laughs> what she meant. Um, and so I tried to for a while. I tr- I tried out a couple hobbies, and one of them that stuck was baking. And I think because baking is precise, baking is chemistry, and it's really not so good to let your mind wander <laughs> during baking. Mm-hmm. I'm sure for like real bakers, they can do that, but for me, like. I check my phone or do something I'm not supposed to do. And it's you're just staring at a bunch of little bowls with white 
powders in them. Yeah. Is yes. one of these salt? Is one of these sugars? Is one of these baking <laughs> sodas? One of these baking powder? I mean, you're just screwed if you don't pay attention. Even yeah, like forensics. Yeah, walking away from the stove. You can't just like walk away from the stove and get on a call because you're like producer called you about something. You're like, okay, we we're baking. You know, we're paying yeah. attention. And I also like that you can just follow instructions and it'll work. What's better than that? You know, for <laughs> for somebody who just deals in uncertainty who like loves conversation and mucking around in messy, vague things, ideas mm-hmm. and uncertainties. I think there's something I like about the certainty of baking that like if you lay everything out and then do everything in order and then it comes out and then everyone enjoys it and it's just like victory. There will be a cake. There the will end. be a cake at the end. Yeah. I like this idea of you exploring hobbies because I think of you having like your own Rocky montage, you know, wearing like your costumes and the music. And 100%. Like, She's doing pickleball. Yeah, She's like tr- maybe I'll take up pillow. sewing. Like yeah. I just I tried to do so many things. And I think like two things I do now is like the baking and also swimming. And I mm. think the swimming similarly, it's like you can't bring your phone in the pool. Like it basically had to just choose things mm-hmm. that forced me to disconnect if you're not paying attention with swimming, sure, you can get into the zone. You can also drown, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> remember to keep your mouth shut. Uh, that's a good thing for me. You know, like yeah. I need to keep my mouth shut sometimes. I don't think it's an accident that that's where I landed in terms of like where I spend my leisure time. Have you noticed a difference? Do you feel better since you've started these two hobbies? Yeah. Adi was born in Jamaica. She and her family immigrated to the U.S., to Massachusetts, when she was just a little girl. She says her mom cooked some Jamaican food, but she also made classic American meals like pot roast. I think a lot of people have a story of, like, opening up their lunchbox and everyone's like, ew, what is that? Like, no, Mm -hmm. they were just like, here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is what Americans eat. Go for it. Mm -hmm. There was nothing traumatic there in the way of foods. Ironically, now that they are grandparents and live close by to me and my sister and our kids, everyone is eating way more Jamaican food. They're retired now. and I think they just have more time Mm. um, to cook those foods specifically. And so, like, my little kids, like, know and enjoy goat stew. Um, They can eat a beef patty, even if it's really spicy. Like, they can eat, like, a huge plate of fried plantain, like... For them, these foods are just a part of their general diet along with like pizza or pasta or whatever. And that that's pretty great. I have a random question for you. I have a friend from Boston and she always talks about this food that is eaten in Salem, Massachusetts. That's so specific. You, I know. <laughs> have you ever had the chop suey sandwich? No. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> One of the things that I do enjoy about traveling the United States as a reporter is engaging in regional cuisine because it feels mm-hmm. like so much of that is sort of was dead and dusted in the post, you know, Chili's outback kind of chain <laughs> yeah. culture. <laughs> um, I really enjoy the shrimp and grits specifically in parts of the Carolinas. Um, I really yes. like... Memphis barbecue, even though I know a bunch of people are going to write in and talk about like St. Louis and Kansas City and of course the Carolinas. I like Memphis barbecue too. Yeah, but I like, like the pulled pork, it's so good. And I like the vinegary. I don't really want a lot of ketchup be sweet. Like I like these regional delicacies. I remember when I went to Cincinnati and like that Cincinnati chili was there, you know, with like let me just <laughs> 
have this Plop it on a spaghetti. ground beef <laughs> on top of spaghetti. And I was like, you know what? This is a delight. I love this. I love that in New England, we call them subs. And it wasn't until I left New England that I heard people use terms like hoagie or that the liquor store is called a packy, like the package yeah. store. Like just yeah. these little regional things, even Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts World Headquarters was uh, near my hometown. So there was like four Dunkin' Donuts in this tiny town. I love the like slight pride in your voice. When oh, you said yeah, that. because nearby <laughs> was Dunkin' Donuts University. And when we were teasing what? each other as kids, that? it's like where you learn to make the donuts. Like, oh, no, I don't know. They it, was, call it, it was probably franchise training or something. The problem is we all use it as a cautionary tale. We'd be like, oh, yeah, you're probably going to DDU. Like, <laughs> if you don't get it together, you go into DDU, Cornish. Those that are so funny. my regional delicacies. Sorry, Chop Suey of Salem. That's so yeah. random. Chop Suey sandwich of Salem. I Okay. Well, I challenge you to go back to your home state when you and try a Chop and Suey. Try this Chop Suey sandwich. And that was Adi Cornish's last meal. As we were saying goodbye, Adi's podcast producer, Dan Bloom, popped on the call. I'll send the audio straight away. That was a great interview. Thank oh, you so really? Much. You liked Thank learning you. that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was food interviews, food media, not normally like my cup of tea. Sorry for that. But this interview... So good. Rachel, you're <laughs> awesome. You. You're, you're, you're award-winning for a reason. It's a and good yes. idea, exactly. Well, you learn a lot and, about people from the food. Well, you're great at it. And it made me Thanks. so grateful that I've had I've had many meals at this point with Audie Cornish. Our first meeting ever was over a meal, and we walked to meals. And to What do I do? Yeah, I wasn't like, let's have coffee. I was like, okay, let's mm-hmm. let's do it. Oh, my God, let's I can't eat. believe you remember that. Where did we eat? Uh, we The place in Silver Spring, Caldi's. Oh, Caldi's Social House. Yeah. Ethiopian Run. And oh, Matt so Martinez, cool. who's on the line, we share a birthday and we have 100% had birthday meals together because that's love. You can find a link to Adi's CNN podcast, The Assignment, in the show notes and watch her cover national, political, and breaking news on CNN. Thanks to Theo Emery, a New York Times bestselling author, and Adi's husband. Did you think of anything that you like that Adi cooks? Um, I like everything that she cooks Mm. because when she cooks, I don't have to cook and it's fantastic. So, uh, I love absolutely everything that comes out of her hands because it's all magic. That is avoiding the question and very nice at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) She said that she'd been getting into baking a little bit more. That's true. That's absolutely true. She makes a lot of cakes and um, madelines. So she makes these amazing madelines, which are absolutely delicious. And she also makes, by the way, ice cream. The terrific ice cream maker. We would serve ice cream and uh, and it just wowed people. Mm. And it's absolutely delicious. Thanks to Melissa Gray, author of All Cakes Considered, former producer of All Things Considered, and current senior producer of Weekend Edition. Your Last Meal is a product of Cascade Public Media in Seattle. It's hosted by me, and this episode was produced by me and Isaac Kaplan-Wolner, who also did the mastering. Sarah Bernard does the production construction, and she is very good at it. Theme music by Prom Queen. 
We only talked a little bit about Jamaican food in this episode, but if you want to learn more about its history and the fascinating details of Rastafarian cuisine, scroll back in the archives and listen to my interview with Tony-nominated Broadway star Joshua Henry. You can follow along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell. And if you like this episode or just the show in general, pretty please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It really does make a difference. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. But I feel like he should write a cookbook or have a show called The Culinary Clown. That's all kind of, we talk about is me trying really? to get him to be like, let's do this. Let's do but this. in the clown costume. That's what I want. Yeah, exactly.